0: Welcome to Raising the Standard, the radio and podcast ministry for the Richmond House of Prayer. We pray the music and the message will be a blessing to you today.
1: Thank you. Oh, who taught the sun? where to stand in the morning? And who told? you give hope. These bones will sing. Great are You, old. and all the earth will shout Your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are You. Old. Can we lift up our hands and sing it straight to the Lord tonight? and all the earth will shout your prayer our hearts will cry these bones will sing Praise the
0: Lord, everybody. How many understand that with the breath that we breathe in, we ought to breathe out praise and worship to him because he's worthy. Because everything that we have comes from him. Every breath, every, every bit of life, every heartbeat, he is everything that we need. Amen. Praise God. appreciate Brother Nick and his team tonight. Give them a hand, would you? Amen. It's good to be back here tonight. Uh, I was here Sunday morning for the nine o'clock service and preached it. And of course, Dylan preached the eleven. And uh, I went, watched, went back and watched it, uh, the, the live stream. It was outstanding, great worship, great message. Uh, we were at Church on the Rock for their eleven o'clock service, uh, participating in their thirty-year celebration as, uh, as a ministry there. And of course, we were involved with them in the beginning and helping get that established and going. And so they wanted us to be a part of that. It was really a, a neat time. We went, uh, they had Tim Lawson there, who was their first worship leader. And the first song that Tim ever sung when he took that position there was Come and Walk on the Water with Me. And he sung that. And, then, of course, uh, Kim Parkerson, who used to be Kim Simpson, when she was a little girl, they used to bring her to our church. Her mother did down in the old blue building. They would bring Kim in, and she would sing for us just a, well, a young girl and she was so anointed and of course she's been just blessing people for years and years and and uh, she sang and just blessed the church out there Sunday morning of course Dr. Ely was there and we just had a great time all of us in the presence of God brother Glenn Wilson of course who's Dana's dad and Mark's father-in-law he got up and and just uh, spoke about their beginnings and it was just a great great time all the worship the music everything went well uh, but it's good to be back home tonight, amen. They gave me 15 minutes, you know, and uh, it was kind of funny. I told the church, I said, when well, they called me about this several weeks ago, a couple of months ago. They told me they wanted to come and, me to come and preach and talk about Mark and Dana, about the beginnings and how long I'd known them and all of that, and, and, and bring a message. So I said, I was teasing with the church, I said, so I, I wrote a book about Mark, and then when I got the itinerary, it said I only had 15 minutes. So I told him, I said I'm going to be publishing the book in a couple of months, and I said I know stuff about Brother Mark that you all don't know. And everybody laughed, and I said I know stuff about Brother Mark that Sister Dana don't know. And uh, so I said anybody that wants to pre-order can go to my website and start. So they had a, had fun with that, but it was it was it was really a good time. And uh, you know, I was thinking how they're. There are 30 years has went by so quickly. Richmond House of Prayer is closing in on 40 years that have from our beginning. And uh, can I say this, me and Sister Moody's closing in on 50 years. So the years have gone by <laughs> real quickly. And uh, uh, we're not as young as we used to be, but we're not dead yet. Amen. We're still going, brother. What are you laughing at, Jim? We're still going, and uh, we thank the Lord for what He's doing. I, I'm excited about this season. Can I say that of my life? And uh, uh, I see God doing some things. And uh, one of the things that the Lord spoke to me about about that meeting there Sunday, and I I just kind of had some insight. I thought to where we are prophetically, and uh, and I really think we're we're standing at it at the threshold of the coming of the Lord. You know, people say, well, where is the sign of his coming? Things are just like they've always been. Have you ever heard people say like that? Well, we've heard that all of our life. Well, can I tell you that's one of the signs that Paul said would be in the end time. People would say those exact words, and they're saying them. Many churches don't even teach on the rapture anymore. Many people have no understanding about Jesus coming. Uh, when he left, do you remember that two angels said, why are you gazing up into heaven? Because that same Jesus you see going is coming back just like that. And uh, he said, lo, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. He's coming. Can you say amen? And so I'm ready for the coming of the Lord, but also I know we're to occupy till he comes. We're to move in the, in the work of God. We're to move in the, in the moving of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit. I think if there was ever a time that we need there to be a strong presence of, of giftings and the prophetic the voice the prophetic voice back in the church, it's today. Amen. And uh, the prophetic voice of God is, is not always uh, easily entreated. Now, the gift of prophecy is. There's a difference in the gift of prophecy and the prophet. But the voice of the prophet is usually pretty harsh and pretty strong and and sounds warnings and and calls people to repentance and people back to where they ought to be with God, calls awakenings for churches. And uh, I I was thinking, I I shared this a little bit, I'll preach here in a minute, but I shared this with them out there. Uh, Sunday, I said, I was quarantined with the COVID and uh, I was home one evening, one afternoon there, and I was trying to find something on television to watch. And among all of that mess, there wasn't hardly anything to find. So I went on the Roku channel, and I was kind of scrolling through there, and I found a documentary about Charles Spurgeon. And I thought, hey, this would be cool. So I watched just the documentary of his life, and he was called the People's Preacher. Uh, he came up in a place where only the elite were allowed to be educated. They were allowed to be a part of the hierarchy of the church, he was not one of those. He was a lay minister, but he became the most famous preacher in that century, not just in that country. At one time, Spurgeon was, preach- was preaching to 6,000 people three times on Sundays, uh, three times a week, I should say. And uh, he had the heart of the people and the voice, he had the ear of the nation. And God was using him, and, and uh, great, great things were happening. Well, right at that time, there was another man that rose up that wrote a book entitled The Evolution of the Species. And his name was Charles Darwin. And he threw all of Europe into atheism almost. France lost its soul during that time because they embraced the teachings of Darwinism, of evolution. They denied the Word of God. They denied the biblical creation. Many people began to be agnostic or even atheist. And yet Darwin just kept preaching the Word of God. He was the voice of the prophet in England at that time. He was preaching uh, blood-bought repentance and salvation. And uh, anyway, uh, even he was part of what they called the Baptist Union. And even the Baptist Union started denouncing his preaching and teaching and embracing Darwinism. But Darwin wouldn't give up. He kept preaching and his numbers kept growing. And people kept getting saved. Are you hearing me? He was the lone voice in all of Europe. And it's it's powerful when you research this. And uh, when he died, I read this later, that when he died, he called his wife Wifey. That was his nickname for her. He called her Wifey all the time. And they were very much in love. And they had wonderful children. And Darwin died at 57 years old. He died young. And uh, when he had passed, the funeral was the biggest funeral they could ever remember in Europe, not just in England, but hundreds of thousands of people came to London to pay their respects to this man of God. And uh, when it was all said and done, his wife was home one day, and she was going through the letters and the correspondence and the thousands of cards. She had people trying to respond to people. And she got a, a, came across an envelope. Somebody brought it to her, and it was from number 10 Downing Street which is the residence of the Prime Minister of England. And the Prime Minister said, paraphrasing something like this, today we mourn the people's preacher. Today we mourn the passing of a great man of God. But he said, personally, we mourn the man that saved the soul of England. Wow, think about that. So if there was ever a time that God needs a voice, are you with me? It's today. We don't need to go along with this woke uh, th- thinking. We don't need to go along with this, all of this modernistic, anti-Christian, anti-God stuff that's been forced down the throats of the public. We need to love people but preach Christ and preach against sin. Can I get a witness? It's not popular, but it's always right. Somebody say Amen. It's always right to stand against sin. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I'd tell you it's okay for you to live like you're living if you're living in sin. Amen. I love the way you're shouting. Amen. But uh, it's it's a great day to be a Christian. Amen. Amen. I, I have a word on my heart tonight I want to share with you and try not to be too long. Uh, they only let me preach 15 minutes Sunday, so I can't promise anything. But let me let, let's go to Genesis chapter 41. And uh, I want to read uh, an account of part of the life of Joseph. This is the point in Joseph's life when he's been brought to the palace of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has had a couple of dreams, and they've troubled him. And Joseph interprets those dreams to mean that there's going to be seven years of plenty And then there's going to be seven years of worldwide famine. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge. How many know the story? And Joseph uh, saves not just Egypt, but literally what was known of the civilized world at that time by his gifting and by his God-given wisdom. So I want to just kind of jump into the middle of that part of the story. If you'd stand with me tonight, and uh, uh, we'll go to verse number 50. And it had just said Joseph had gathered corn during the time of, famine, of, of plenty as the sands of the sea. They'd filled up everything they could fill up with grain. They had built massive warehouses. And he was storing up from seven years of bounty and prepared for seven years of famine. But then in verse number 50, it says, And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, uh, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And he said, for God, said he, has made me to forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. Let me kind of paraphrase that. God has made me to forget all the evil that happened to me while in my father's house what my brother's. Did to me. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteous, uh, plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth or drought began to come, according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, every country. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph. And whatever he tells you, what he says to you, that's what you need to do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the the Egyptians and the famine waxed sore or worse in the land of Egypt and then all these other countries came to Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was sore or grievous in all the lands now here is a young man who he comes to power when he's 30 years old he's anointed he's a prophet he moves in the prophetic. He interprets, he interprets dreams. And Joseph is put in a position of, of great power and responsibility. And as a man of God would do, he uses it to save the world. And yet in the middle of that, Joseph has two children. I want to talk about that a little bit, but I want you to notice the name of the first one, Manasseh. He named him Manasseh for he said, God Has made me to forget all of my toil, everything that happened to me in my father's house. And I want to just talk to you for a little while on the thought of he made me forget. He made me forget. You know, there are people, no doubt in this room, who have suffered a lot of things. Maybe unjustly, maybe some of it, it's your fault. But Paul said, there's one thing that I've learned. I forget what's behind me. And I look forward and I press, say that with me, press, toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Do you understand that sometimes the stuff of life just happens to let us focus on the calling? I want to say that again. Sometimes the stuff of life whether it's a betrayal or a physical setback or a financial loss or or some horrible, unthinkable thing from your childhood, God uses those things to let us focus on where, why He's called us to this place. Why we're here? Can you say Amen? So David said, or Joseph said, He made me forget. Father, we thank you, and we just ask you to help us tonight. Just touch our hearts and speak to us and through us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You'd be seated. Hallelujah. Brother Chester, will you do me a favor? Will you go right over there in that room and get me a bottle of water? I appreciate it. Uh, Joseph's life, I think, is almost parallel to the life of Jesus in a lot of ways. He was dead. In his father's mind, but then he rose to be a savior for the world. He is a great illustration also of what it means to, say, to stay God-focused, or if I can say for us, Christ-centered. Thank you, brother. To keep our eyes and our, our, our attention on the Lord. And uh, when Joseph was having dreams revealing them to his brothers and to his fathers, and they hated him for it. His father even at one time questioned him when he saw you know, the stars bowing down, the moon and the sun bowing down before him with the other stars. And he said, "Well, your mother and I bow before you? The answer is yes. But sometimes, if we're not careful, then all of a sudden dreams can be dashed. What we thought was going to be all right is suddenly over. Uh, As a pastor for over 40 years, uh, now closing in on 45, there's been a lot of times that I've gotten horrific phone calls where not just plans were changed, but lives were shattered because of tragedies, uh, horrible, unthinkable things that had happened. Not just uh, for people on the periphery, but in my own family, tragedies have happened. And so Joseph's life is an illustration of how important it is to stay focused. It was important for him to stay focused when, uh, amen, when he was in Potiphar's house and his wife was trying to get him to lay with her. And he resisted every day. Amen. Not because, well, he, he said it was because of his, of his master and, and his master had held nothing back from him. But most importantly, it was because his life was focused on God. He was a man of God. That's the bottom line. He's a man of God. Favored by his father, betrayed by his brothers, thrown upon the circumstances of unjust humanity, he finds himself in prison uh, and falsely accused and imprisoned. While he's there, he interprets dreams. That's his gift. And when he does, you know... uh, The men that were supposed to remember him forgot him. Years more he's there in that crucible called prison. But he's approaching 30 and his time is coming. Can you say amen? Of course, you know 30 is when Jesus began his ministry. 30 is when people born into the priesthood were allowed to officially operate in the office of the priest. 30 was when Ezekiel saw his very first vision. Are you with me? There's something significant about all of this. And so many times believers are held in check because their circumstances hold them back. So Joseph's in prison, but he doesn't know it. It's about to change quickly, and he's going to become the savior of the world. Wow. And I, and I use that word savior, not as Christ, but as saving the world from starvation. And... So sometimes believers are held in check, though, because they can't get past their past. The birth of Joseph was a testament of the grace that characterized his journey. There has to be a place to forget and prosper in what God is doing. I read it in your text, you know, in your ear tonight. The scripture said that there were two sons that were born to him. One was named Manasseh. He said, God has made me to forget all my toil in my father's house. How easy it would have been to be living in the palace. and Forget about dad. Forget about mom. Forget about those early dreams when those sheaves would bow before him. When those stars would bow before him. It would have been easy for him to just say, they betrayed me. They threw me in a pit. They sold me into slavery. They killed me as far as my father was concerned. I don't care about them. But all of a sudden, while he's in this position, then he says, God made me to forget. And then he has another son and says, now but God has made me to be fruitful. And I want to tell you, being fruitful is important in the life of a Christian. Jesus said, in this is the Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and that your fruit remain. In our time now in this new covenant, most every time Jesus spoke of fruit, he was referring to souls. Paul talked about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, but almost every time Jesus mentioned fruit, he was referring to soul winning to bring people to Christ. Joseph had to come to a place where he was made, Brother Anthony, to realize his father and mother were lost. His brothers were lost. By lost, I mean they're out there in the land of the dying. As far as Joseph knows, all he knows is there's a famine, it's swept the world, they're out of sight and they're out of mind. Can you say amen? So sometimes God then begins to do things To help us remember, there are many whose memories from Father's house and from their childhood are tragic. And yet, God made him to be fruitful in the land of affliction. I thought it like this no matter what drove you to where you are, God's gonna bless you right in the middle of it. I was talking to some folks the other day, and this is a a generalized statement. It's not specifically true for everybody. But I said, I'm gonna say this, that most people that I know that God has really used in ministry and have really used, they've really given their all to ministry, most of them have come from hard beginnings, hard beginnings, hard circumstances. Not all of them, but, but most. In Genesis 26 and 12, It talked about Isaac and it said that Isaac uh, sowed and reaped in the same season and it was during the time of a drought. Uh, The the years of plenty, they came and went and all the land was famished and uh, all the countries came to Joseph to begin to buy food. I want to tell you something. Dreams are amazing. And, And Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repeating what Joel said, in the last days saith God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and I'll pour out my spirit on my servants and my handmaidens and, and uh, your uh, uh, young men will have visions, the old men will dream dreams. Or, or Vice versa, young men will dream dreams, old men will have visions. Dreams come from God. Uh, sometimes dreams are just the result of circumstances, things that were on your mind. But can I say this? Sometimes Dreams are directional from God to take you where he needs you to be to do what he needs you to do. Somebody say amen. There are gifts and callings in the New Testament that are amazingly parallel to the historic events of the Old Testament. I thought about when they went into the land of Canaan. There were nine things, you can look this up, that God warned them not to be involved with fortune tellers and and all these other different kinds of things. And then when you get to the New Testament, there's nine gifts of the Spirit literally that do all of the things for real that those nine fake things claimed that they could do in the Old Testament. So there's always this amazing parallel. Amen? And so when I started looking into this, God has made me forget. I begin to talk like this, that that life usually is characterized in most people, by dreams and disasters. Dreams and disasters. Probably every one of us can uh, think about a dream, can you say amen? I was thinking about Dr. Martin Luther King. He had his, his I Have a Dream sermon. Somebody called it a speech. It was a sermon. Trust me, go listen to it. And yet that dream became a disaster in that man's life, yet it forwarded what his dream actually was. And uh, uh, this is kind of off the beaten path of where I usually go, but Elvis Presley made a song. And uh, it was one of his last uh, 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 great, great concerts before his health started to fail. And he made a song that he writ- wrote specifically for that, for that concert. And it wasn't long after Dr. King and Robert Kennedy Jr. had been assassinated. And the title of that song was If I Can Dream. And he tried to parallel that song with that event of those two men being being shot down because the dream was important. Can I get a witness? Amen. And uh, so all of a sudden I thought life can be characterized sometimes, amen, by dreams and disasters. I want to say this. Dreams can at times be overshadowed by disasters. I know a lot of people that have had dreams that, that have been shattered by something that happened that they weren't prepared for. I remember many years ago hearing a young uh, a Church of God preacher, a young black man preach a, in a meeting one time that I was in. And I could preach. And uh, he preached a message entitled, Let the Boy Live. Let the boy live. And he preached about the widow of Nain and that, that funeral procession, that Jesus stopped it and touched the casket and raised that boy from the dead, but the fact that she was a widow, and he'd done his research, and I know this to be true, that there was no welfare programs, no social security programs. The only thing that was made for widows in that day was the mercy of the people and people leaving gleanings in the corners of the fields and what they dropped for them to pick up. Most of them lived a hard life. This woman had nothing but an 18-year-old son. That 18-year-old son was her dream, can you say, man? He was going to be her livelihood. This is the only country in the world where nursing homes can survive. Somebody help me. Other countries don't do that. People take care of their parents till they die in most every other culture and every other country. And I'm not criticizing nursing homes. I'm just saying it's different in the Middle East. And so this woman, all she had was that boy. I mean, carrying down that street that day at that funeral procession was her livelihood. It was her survival, can you say amen? I mean, her last hope, her husband's gone. This is her only child. And so the young man preached, let the boy live. Let the dreams live. Let the future live. Let the ambitions live. Let future ministry live. Can you say amen? We're living in a time today when much is being done in the world to try to shut down, amen, the call to ministry. To try to shut down the pastoral call, the teaching call, the missionary call, the prophetic call. Can you say amen? There's much that's being done to cast a dark shadow over what God's plan is for the future. And I want to say this, the hope of America is a spirit-filled church, Amen, I'll say that till I take my last breath. The hope of America is a spirit-filled church preaching a gospel that saves and moving and operating in the power and the gifts of the Holy Ghost because there's nothing in that world that can replace what God does in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So dreams sometimes can be overshadowed by disasters. It It was said of Abraham in Romans 4 and 17, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. Amen, before him uh, whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. Let me translate that. Abraham believed God enough that he took that boy to Mount Moriah, laid him up on an altar. Isaac, his son named laughter, born of his old age, promised to be the father of of an innumerable seed, more than the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Laid him on that altar, tied him up, raised up a knife, was going to cut his throat and give him to God. You know why? I believe because when, when when he started to go there to sacrifice, he told the donkey keepers, you stay at the bottom of the hill me and that boy is going up there we're going to worship God and we're going to come back he was believing God for a resurrection can you say amen even then so all of a sudden his dream even though now it was about to be overtaken by tragedy he had faith to believe God that God was going to work all things for his good so Joseph was this, this dreamer he, he came through unthinkable unthinkable betrayal. I mean, can you imagine being out with your brothers and they throw you in a pit and take your clothes and kill an animal and put animal's blood on them and go home, you know, crying crocodile tears and tell your daddy that a lion killed you and send you off to slavery? You know what they were saying? Just let him go on to hell. We don't care about him. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the hurt? Are you with me? And so all of a sudden, dreams and and disasters go hand in hand. And then I thought not only that, but we then deal with betrayal here and forgiveness. Joseph has, man, you talk about a leap. uh, Trying to come from betrayal to forgiveness. Trying to come from being hurt deeply you know, as, as pastor, I've, I've said in many a counseling session with wives and husbands where betrayal has wounded them so deeply that some of them never got over it, even though God offered them the opportunity to. I've seen children betrayed by their parents. Siblings betrayed each other. I, I've known families that have, you know, when their parents die, after being loving each other all their lives, They fall out over a table lamp or something and never speak to each other again. I mean, it's crazy. Can't you just say amen? Or one of them will do something underhanded and steal the inheritance. I had an inheritance stole from me one time, not by my brothers. I want to throw that out there by somebody else that's dead and gone now. And they stole it actually from me and my brothers. And... The people that done it, I had the opportunity of visiting them in the hospital and leading them to Jesus before they died. That's how I felt about it. Amen. There's just something about betrayal. Uh, I, I've told the story, Dylan shared a little bit of it Sunday morning about the man that was right down the road here that a man beat him out of $8,000. And he quit preaching and backslid and was just was going to hell. And, was, and, he, and he got so full of bitterness. And, and there, you know, it's been proven medically that bitterness causes your body to produce, pr- produce an enzyme that can cause cancer. And this guy was so full of bitterness and he was dying with cancer. And I didn't know what had become of him. I didn't know where he was. And somebody told me one day, was well, he's right down the road from you. And I hadn't heard from him in years. And I went to his house and I knocked on the door. And when I went in, he invited me in. And it was such a, it was like an oppressive atmosphere in the house. The lights were all out. And it was dark and the place was dirty. And his health was gone. And uh, I started talking to him about about getting back to God and about his ministry and why he walked away. I'll never forget it. He said, I can never serve God anymore. I said, why? He said, a man did me wrong. I said, forgive him. He said, I can't. And the bottom line was the man had beat him out of $8,000. I said, you're going to tell me you're going to hell for $8,000? Man, that's a cheap price. Hello? I told him, I said, I've got my checkbook. I could write you a check for $8,000, but it would probably bounce. And he said, I don't want your money. And I kept trying to, finally I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that guy's losing any sleep because he beat you out of $8,000? No, he said, he don't care. I said, my point, the only one that cares is you. And the only one that's hurting is you. And the only one that backslid is you. And the only one that quit preaching is you. And the only one that's going to stand before God and give an answer for the souls you could have won is you. I thought he was going to run me off. He got angry. At one point he said, "You can't talk to me like that." And I thought, "Well, you're too weak to do anything about it, so I'm just and to, make a bottom, to make a long story short, I convinced that man to forgive. And he did. And he got right with God. Betrayal and forgiveness are something that Joseph had to deal with. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 23, Paul's talking about preachers. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. He said, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death. Of the Jews, five times I've been received 40 stripes, save one, or 39 stripes, five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I suffered a shipwreck, spent a day and a night in the deep and out in the ocean. Second, and then he said, in, in journeyings often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city and in the wilderness, in the sea. And, and, and then he said, among false brethren, in which Weariness and painfulness and watchings, often in hunger and thirst and fasting, often in cold and in nakedness. Listen to this, and beside those things that are without, that which comes up on me daily—the care of all the churches. Do you hear that? I've been betrayed. I've been beaten. I've been stolen. I've been shipwrecked. Dear God, this man—he done everything but die for Christ at this point. You know what he said? I forgive. Isn't that awesome? But they stoned Stephen to death, does anybody remember what Stephen said? He looked up and he saw Jesus and he said, forgive them, don't lay the sin to their charge. He forgave them. You know, I've had people tell me, well, I just can't forget. I just can't forgive. Sure you can. Make it an act of your will. Amen? I mean, you can sign a contract and buy a car and pay $700 a month for a car payment or something. You can say, I forgive. Say that with me. I forgive. I want you to think about somebody that did you the worst deed you could ever think of. And I want you to look right up to God and say, Father, I'm making an act of my will. I forgive. Hmm. Well, I don't feel like it. That doesn't matter. Say it anyway. I forgive. If it comes from your heart, it'll work. Can you say amen? And uh, I don't know why we're dealing with forgiveness. Dealing that with that Sunday. But here we go again. And because the only response to betrayal is forgiveness. The only thing you can do about being done wrong is forgive. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, if somebody hurts you, does you wrong, mistreats you, despitefully uses you, what's the Bible say? Pray for them. If they slap you in the face, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. All that's saying is this, don't be consumed with vengeance because you're putting yourself in the position of God because God said that's my business. Isn't that sweet? I don't know about you, but that lets me off the hook. Amen? I mean, I've been one of those preachers that whined, you know, because this one did that to me and that one did this to me and that one left me and blah, 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 blah. And after a while, I found out it doesn't matter. They don't care. It really doesn't matter what happens to you. What matters is how you respond to it. Jesus said, in this world, how many knows we're still in the world? How many knows we're still here? Yep, your feet are firmly planted. How many knows you haven't lost gravity yet? You're still right here. In this world, you're going to have trouble and tribulation and persecution. But he said, don't be afraid of that because I have overcame the world. I don't know about you, but I've made my reservations for a mansion in the sky. I'm doing everything I can to live for God. He made me to forget. You know, my wife and I both, and, and we don't sing sad songs, and you know, around saying pity me but both of us came from disturbed childhoods and uh, you know it's not something we're going to tell everybody about but if you when you look at me and sister moody you might think we came from perfect worlds most of you know better but we, we we came from two train wrecks that god picked up the pieces and put a life together out of them amen and so we had to work through some stuff when we when we got married Even after we got saved, we had had to work through stuff because the expectations that we had on each other were not fair because we'd been dealt such hard blows, we thought the other one was the answer to every problem we'd ever have. How many of you know that's an unreasonable expectation and all that would do is drive you apart? I'm not preaching real good tonight, but I'm having fun. And all of a sudden, we found out that in the midst of all of our hurt and betrayal and disappointments and setbacks, the only sensible response was forgiveness. Forgiveness. I mean, I can go to bed tonight, and can I say it real simply? I ain't holding nothing against nobody. I refuse to. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Amen. So all of a sudden then, when Joseph, he comes through dreams and disasters, he operates from betrayal to forgiveness. And when his brothers come, I won't read it, but you remember the story when they came in and he realized who they was and he kind of played around with them a little bit and put their money back in the mouth of Benjamin's you know, one of them sack and to get them to bring Benjamin and then and then he kept him to get him to bring, you know, uh, to bring Jacob and to bring the whole family and, and all of this. It wasn't because he was being mini- mean or manipulative. He was trying to save his family from the land of being impoverished to the land of plenty. Amen. So all of a sudden, he goes from, from dreams and disasters and betrayal and forgiveness to a place of making spiritual progress. God made me forget Manasseh. But then he has a frame. And now I'm starting to be fruitful. Now what God has taught me is going to pay off. You know, if we're not careful, we'll sit around and make excuses for bad behavior when God wants us to get over it and get past it. Is this all right? I've had people tell me when I'm Brother Middle, you know, that's just how they are. They've always been like that. And I usually smile and say, Yeah, but when you get saved, you're supposed to change. And if you walk after the Spirit, you'll not fulfill those old desires of the flesh. Well, preacher, you sound like you're perfect. Oh no. A million times no. Because usually about twice a week, God has to remind me of all this. Forgive, forget it, move on, make spiritual progress. You know, when, when Israel got in the wilderness, you know, they, they walked around a mountain for 40 years. Uh, can, can I tell you, they, the Bible says they, they fetched a circumference they went in cyclical motion. I'll never forget years ago Mark uh, Huron was here preaching one time, great missionary, and Mark said this. He said, in the Word of God, study it out, cyclical motion is sin. If you keep going in circles, it's because you never pass the test and you never move beyond what God was trying to teach you. And he'll keep you going in circles until you get it right and move on. And for 40 years they wandered in a wilderness and finally God had to let a whole generation die because they never progressed spiritually. So God never intended for us to get saved, sanctified, and satisfied. He never intended for us to get baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Ghost talking tongues in the story. Y'all still love me? He said, if God's willing, let's go on in Hebrews to perfection or maturity. Let's keep going. Let's exercise in the gifts. Let's move forward. Let's, let's become mature Christians. Let's become people who can teach instead of needing to be taught all the time. Let's grow in the Lord, making spiritual progress. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, he said, "Brother, I don't count myself to have apprehended, to have made it, I'm still learning, but there's one thing I do. He said, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice here, there's three parts of spiritual progress that Paul talks about. There's a lot of other things, but there's three here that I think are basic. Number one, I forget the ground I've already covered. I mean, I, I give God glory for it, I shout about it and move on. I, I cannot waste my time dwelling on the past. I've learned that focusing on the miles and events behind me Are y'all ready for this? Can I tell y'all something? I'm going to be I'm going to be 70 Sunday after next so I can speak from experience here a little bit. If I stay focused on the past all the time, you know what it does? It makes me tired. It drains me of my energy if I just think about the past all the time. Anybody else had that experience? But can I tell you, I've learned that focusing on the the things behind me make me tired. And then if I reach forward to the things that God has set before me, what's his plan for me today? Do Do you still get up and get excited about the fact that God gave you another day to serve him? Or do we just kind of get up and walk around in circles like they did for 40 years? You're not too old. You've not come too far. You've not suffered too much. You've not already learned too much. I can tell you that. Amen. Just when I think I know something, I find out I don't know anything. Amen. I need to learn something. And, and so I've, I've learned that focusing on the things behind me make me tired, but I've learned that reaching forward to what God has for me energizes me. I get plugged in when I'm pursuing God. A.W. Tozer wrote the book, In Pursuit of God. Tommy Tenney came along years later and wrote a book called God Chasers. And basically they said the same exact thing. Forget the past. Pursue God. Pursue his purpose. Find out his plan. There's nothing greater for any day of your life than knowing this is what God wants me to do today, doing it and seeing it succeed. Give God praise, would you? Now, Paul said, I reach forward. I press. You know what he's saying? I strain every nerve, every muscle, every ounce of my strength To get a hold of it and do it and win. Can you say amen? My future depends on it. Nick sings that song sometimes, I'm running for my life. I really believe that's what that song is saying. If anybody asks you, Amen, just tell them I'm saved and sanctified, and I'm running for my life. Amen. If you see me running. No, I'm running from a past that's been redeemed. Can you say amen? If you see me shouting, no, I'm shouting from a heart that's been washed clean. I want to tell you, I've found out that, that the time that I've got left is high time we wake out of our sleep, for the time is shorter and closer now than when we believe. We don't, I've got a lot less days ahead of me than I do behind me, and you might be in your 20s, and that might be true for you too. You, all you've got today. None of us are promised tomorrow. Come on, somebody. We need to get up every morning and say, God, Holy Spirit. You know, Benny Hinn said it years ago, and a lot of the religious world laughed at him. He wrote a book entitled Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And he said he got up every morning before he said hello to his wife or to anybody. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What are we going to do today? What do you have in store for me? What's your plan for me? Can you use me today, Lord? Amen. I'm tired of tired sermons and tired preachers and tired church members who are tired because they can't get their head out of the past. And they wear themselves out with the disappointments and the frustrations and the betrayals and the pains and the hurts and the would-haves, should-haves, and could-haves. Mm. Am I preaching okay? I'm here to tell you, God made me forget. And in doing that, He made me fruitful. He's allowed me to accomplish some things. I've had to look people in the eye and say, if you don't forgive that person, you're not going to heaven. You can't say that. Jesus did. He said, if you won't forgive men, God won't forgive you. Forgive us our debts as... We forgive our debtors. Another place Jesus said, forgive us our trespasses as according to how we forgive those who trespass against us. How many need God to forgive you? Don't hold your hand up. If you need God to forgive you, ask yourself a question, have you forgiven somebody else? If you haven't, you're wasting your time. Hmm. Every now and then I'll get up and Start my day and my memory. Sometimes we want to blame it on the devil. Most of the time it's our old carnal mind because we start our day without praying or getting in the Word of God or getting alone with God. And if you don't let the Holy Spirit have leadership of the reins of your life, your carnal mind or that devil will take over before you get out the front door. Is that all right? And I'll start thinking about what Jim Bob and Sally May or somebody did to me. Can you say amen? And if I'm not careful, I'm walking around, look like I've been sucking on a persimmon or weaned on a dill pickles. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I look bitter. And Gail's looking at me saying, what's wrong with you? Nothing. And the truth is, I didn't get a hold of God and say, today I'm walking in forgiveness. Today I'm putting it behind me. Today, I'm looking through that big windshield and forgetting about that little rearview mirror. And I'm reading the signs. Where's God taking me today? Oh, hallelujah. You'd be surprised what you'll see every day when you look through the eyes of God made me forget, and God has made me fruitful, and I have a purpose today for God. Amen? You'll be surprised the opportunities you'll see. Let Let me hurry. Let me hurry. So I strain every muscle. I try to win. My future depends on it. I'm running for my life. Number three, I press toward the mark. That white line at the end of the race, that finish line, the finish line has to be my focus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.24, know you that they which run in a race run all, but there's one that receives a prize. Back then, everybody didn't get a trophy whether they won or not. You had to win it. I mean, you had to strive to win it, can you say, amen? Now they give every kid a trophy. that doesn't teach them anything. Don't get mad at me. I'm just old-fashioned. Amen. I played a lot of times and didn't win, but I played to win. Can you say, amen? Everybody don't have the same giftings. I'm not going to wrestle with Matt back there. He's got things I don't have, or bigger things than what I've got. Can you say, Amen? And but he said, one wins. So run that you may obtain or you might win, verse 25. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. He controls himself. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. I'm running for my life. I'm laying aside every weight. I'm walking in forgiveness. God has made me to be fruitful. I refuse to dwell in the past. I've got this day and this might be my only shot to serve God today. What would you do if if all of a sudden God told you you'd be dead before morning? He won't do that. But just think like that. What would you do if you got up in the morning with the realization, this is my last day on earth? That's how we are looking every day. What can I do for Jesus today? That's what's important. No matter how much money I've got, doesn't matter how big my stock portfolio is, doesn't matter how much property I own, it doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. blah. What matters of what I've done with Jesus and for him and for my fellow man, amen? Come on, Nick, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna land this ship. Uh, I must not allow failures and disappointments of the past or present or fears of the future to influence or even shadow the dream that God has put in front of me. Can I say that again? I must not allow the failures and disappointments of the past or the fears of the future or the present to influence or even shadow, even cast a shadow on the dream that God has set in front of me. God's going to do something in my life. I dare you to look around at somebody and say, God's going to do something with my life. Tell them right now. Try and tell somebody, God is going to do something great with my life. Tell somebody, praise God. Now look at them and say, God's got a plan for you, praise the Lord. Tell them, say, it may not be as great as mine, but he's got a plan for you, praise God. I love that t shirt I saw that said, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Amen. That's, that's how we got to look at life, can you say amen? That's how we got to look at it. I believe this. Stand with me, would you? I believe this. Very famous cadence of Scripture. We know that all things work together for them that love God. To them are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn Jesus, the firstborn example among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He made me forget. you know how many times when I was a kid, I heard people look at me and say, you'll never amount to nothing. And they meant that. You poor little ragtag outcast, lost your mama, ain't got your daddy. All you are is a burden on your grandparents. You're never going to amount to nothing. I heard that until I was sick of it. Finally, one day I got mad and I said, I'll show them. And uh, I started doing stupid stuff then. By the time I got out of the United States Army, drafted during the Vietnam War, I was drinking Maker's Mark whiskey and chasing it with beer getting up of a morning just to look outside to see how I got home because I couldn't remember where my car was. And finally, one day I realized that I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, and I, I never went to AA, but I, just, I I guess I was an alcoholic. I don't know, I, because I wanted to drink every day. And one day I got up and realized, this is stupid. I've got a wife and kids. I'm a young man. And, and I, I guess I had a little bit of this. Even before I got saved, I said, this is crazy. So I said, I'm going to quit. And I tried, but it was still there. Then Jesus came, praise God. And things were different, can you say amen? So that's behind me. It's in the past, can you say amen? Hakuna matata, whatever. It's in the past, hallelujah. When that monkey hit him and the head, It's in the past. Are you with me? And at his feet, I can feel his presence. Did you hear me? At the feet of Jesus, I can feel his presence. He puts his hand upon me he speaks life to me his voice does I feel his life-giving breath breathe into me every day wow greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world so as long as I know that some of you have been some of you have been crushed some of you your bones have been broken under all Read Psalm 51. David repented after he killed Uriah and cheated with his wife and got her pregnant and had him killed and God had convicted him and Nathan had came and pointed the finger at him and David repented and said, wash me and purge me and cleanse me and create in me and renew within me and take not away from me and he poured his heart out to God and then he said that these bones that you've crushed, that I'll be able to teach people how to repent. David got it good. Do you know that even after Nathan came and accused him, David named one of his kids after him? Isn't that awesome? Named one of his children after him. The man that accused him. Because David didn't get mad at him. David knew this was God. Amen, promoting his, progressing him and moving him forward. I can forget the past. Can you? He makes me forget. I can be fruitful. So what if I didn't do as good today as I should have? I can repent. And tomorrow I can get up and say, God, what do you have in store for me today? What can I do for you? John Kennedy said years ago, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Dear God, what would that do if America would get a hold of that today? Instead of everybody looking for what they can get, if everybody would start saying, what can I do to save our nation? Mm, Don't get me started. He made me forget. How many can raise your hands and say, thank God, he's made me forget? How, How many of you will say, by faith, in Jesus' name, he's made me forget I'm putting it behind me it's under the blood it's under my feet now hand me raise your hands and say he's going to make me fruitful he's going to make me fruitful I'm going to be the best me you've ever seen praise God Halle, look out devil I'll run over you look out devil I'll run my smack over you because God's got a plan for my life amen Father we love you thank you for Jesus Thank you for grace. Hallelujah. Zechariah said, who is this mountain standing before Zerubbabel? The man that God has raised up to, to rebuild the nation and bring worship back. And he said, you just shout grace at that mountain and watch it move. Just shout grace to it. Can I tell you, grace is greater than all of your sin. Grace is greater than all of your failures. Grace is greater than all the betrayal, the hurt, the pain, the disappointment. What you said you couldn't forgive, grace is greater than all of that. Thank God for amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know that John, uh, the man that wrote that, that uh, John Newton that wrote that song, Amazing Grace, do you all know his story? Do you know he was a slave trader? Do you know that, that hundreds of, of Africans men and women died in the in the bowels of that slave ship and him him transporting him across that ocean. Do you know he was a brute beast and a murderer? Mm-hmm. Do you know he got saved and spent the rest of his time mopping floors in the church and wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretched life. Come on, don't tell, you ain't no big shot VIP center. Don't try to tell me you can't get past where you can. Oh, God, touch us and use us for your glory. I want you to look this way. Maybe there's some stuff you need to forget. Maybe there's some hurts you need to forget. Maybe there's some people you need to forgive. Maybe you've done all that, but now maybe it's time for you to rise up and say, Okay, Jesus, I'm not just trying to hold on till you come. I want to do something before I get out of here. I want to be fruitful. I want to serve God. I want to be a savior to my people. Amen. How many want to be that? That, That's not blasphemy to say that. I want to save somebody. I want to save somebody. The Bible said we save some, making a difference, dealing with them diplomatically. And others, Brother Chester, said we snatch them right out of the fire. We just grab them and pull them out because they won't listen. I want to save somebody, don't you? How many's got somebody in your mind you'd like to save out of the fires of hell, right? You can do it, Amen. Can we come around the altar? Oh, let's let's say, God make the Richmond House a church, prayer, a church that that forgets the past and is fruitful today, not at some point in the future, but today, today. Go ahead. Amazing
1: grace, how sweet the sound. The Savior Oh no. ending love.
0: I want to say this, that our ministries are not dependent upon our physical abilities or our mental capacities. Our ministries are dependent upon a revelation of Jesus. He needs to show himself to people while we're preaching, while we're teaching, while we're prophesying, while we're singing, while we're worshiping. People need to see that Jesus is real. Can you say Amen? That's why I want them to see Jesus in me, on me, and through me. Doesn't matter if I'm, you know, can uh, have, you know have the, the understanding that I can, you know, understand all mis all mysteries of faith that I can move mountains. What matters is that people see the love of God and see Jesus in me and in you. That's who we can be. Amen. Well, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank- we hope you enjoyed this message today. Our church is located off Barnes Mill Road at 330 Mule Shed Lane, Richmond, Kentucky. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Our 11 a.m. service is live streamed on Facebook. Children's church services are also available at the 11 a.m. service. On Wednesday, we have kids ministry beginning at 6.30 p.m. with adult services held at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. We hope you enjoyed today's
1: message. Have a blessed day.